I have the pleasure of having on the line my dear friend, colleague, and business partner, Kiera Bussey, who has a master's in education and is a director of programs for Teach for America, the New York region. Kiera also wants to share that her favorite book is Homegoing by, can you say the name of the author again, Kiera? Yes, uh, it's Ga, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. So what we're talking about today <laughs> is diversity and literacy. Um, specifically, what is the importance of it? Why does it matter? And what are ways that we can increase the um, diversity in readings, um, the instruction, and increase the variety of cultures that we see in education? So the one thing that I want to touch on first before we really dive into the conversation is the word diversity. Um, I feel like there's a lot of buzz around the word diversity, and um, most people, when you ask them what do they think about when it comes to diversity, um, is on the basis of race uh, and identity. And I want us to just really think about the word diversity as a kaleidoscope. Um, it does not just encompass black and brown people. When we talk about um, diversity, we're talking about our intersectional identities, um, whether it be you're a woman, a man, boy, girl, able-bodied, disabled. Um, that is what we think of when we talk about the word all-encompassing diversity, mm-hmm. um, particularly moving away from Eurocentric uh, standards and values that are often embedded in children's literature. I agree. Diversity encompasses all. It's all of the diverse ways in which we learn, in which we speak, in which we look. <laughs> so thank you yeah, for definitely. that clarification. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that I think about um, and that has really grounded me in this work is Chimimanda Ngozi, uh, The Danger of a Single Story. And in her TED Talk, she opens up talking about how the literature that she was exposed to as a child um, really only reflected the identity of a white person. She even talks about how uh, books she read about um, spoke about snow. She was from West Africa, and we all know in West Africa it does not snow. and that was a pivotal moment for me as an educator where I had to really ask myself, am I exposing my students to diverse literature? And if I'm not, what is the impact of that? And then the other side of the point is, well, what is the impact of exposing my students to diverse literature? And so from that, I became very intentional about the types of books um, I was putting in front of students. Because the truth of the matter is, um, you know, most teachers, are able to invest students in literature. And so it's really about um, what you're putting in front of them and how you're investing them in the literature. I agree. What are some additional strategies and and books that you feel appeal to diversity within your classroom? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, um, as an educator, you have to know your students. The one pitfall that I see consistently play out in education is if your students are black and brown, then all you need to do is put black and brown, uh, excuse me, books that reflect black and brown characters in front of them. That is not culturally relevant pedagogy. Um, Culturally relevant pedagogy is understanding your students, understanding their interests, understanding their backgrounds, understanding what gets them the most engaged, right? And then playing off of that, and tailoring uh, 
the instruction to their needs. Mm-hmm. And so let's say, for example, you know that your students really love sports, right? Put literature in front of them that reflects all sports. Mm-hmm. Teach them something new, right? Um, that's going to give you the buy-in and the investment from the student. And so one of the things that um, I also do and also make important is that my students know I value exposure. And so not only am I going to put things in front of you in front of you that you find relevant, I'm also going to put things in front of you that also expand your horizons. Mm-hmm. To me, again, that plays on what it means to have diversity in literature. Because the reality is um, our students all engage in taking high-stakes tests. They all engage in taking some form of, of, of assessment um, where they read poetry, different types of nonfiction, fiction uh, literature. Mm-hmm. And if they are not exposed to a wide variety of literature, their background knowledge is going to be very limited. Uh, one of my really, really good friends and um, colleagues once told me that it's absolutely necessary for kids to read stories about scuba diving even if they've never gone scuba diving. Mm -hmm. Because they may get that one text on an assessment and have no background knowledge whatsoever and completely bomb the test. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny that I say that because um, I was actually a Spanish communications major, and I remember taking a Spanish examination to get my teacher certification. And one of the texts that I had to read was about whales. But none of the Spanish that I learned had (laughs) anything to do with aquatics. Mm -hmm. And so I completely... I just completely bombed that part of the test. That wasn't indicative of my ability to process the language of Spanish and interpret it. I literally just had no background knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is how crucial it is to ensure that um, we're, we're one, giving our students diverse perspectives and books to invest them first in the art of reading. Mm -hmm. And then step two is then that exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I wanted to bring it back to the whole point of having this conversation is that students need to see themselves reflected in literature mm-hmm. so that they can be invested in it before we expose them to other things that are beyond their reach. Yeah, I totally agree. If there's power in representation and, of course, the engagement, the engagement level is also going to go much higher if they can connect or apply what they're reading to themselves in some way. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, again, someone who looks exactly like them, but someone who is going through something similar or who has been through or has some kind of diverse uh, background that will engage the student. So I totally agree in the power of that. I want to go into the efforts. You and I both work on Literate Minds, and can you talk a little bit more about what sparked Literate Minds? And um, you can also explain more about what Literal Minds is and we can go into more conversations about the the mission and the vision for it. Yeah, so I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you made the statement about um, we want our students to connect with what they're reading. Um, And again, I think that further reinforces their investment in literature. Essentially what sparked Literate Minds was this idea that research that that Black and brown students are further behind in literature because they are exposed to less words as a young child. What we're not saying is that that research has no validity whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But what we are saying 
is that we find the claims to be a bit misguided. Children are exposed to thousands of words, um, regardless if they're being read to or not. Uh, we also have to keep in mind our cultural backgrounds. I know, for, for example, in my family, my grandmother did a lot of storytelling. She may not have read out of a book, but I was certainly exposed to words through her storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so I think we also have to consider how our children are socialized and give credit to that. Because I think those types of studies completely discredit the education that our children do, black and brown kids do receive, mm-hmm. it's just not through Eurocentric standards of reading words off of a page in the book. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two is the given reality that our black and brown students are indeed behind when it comes to their white peers. I already find it problematic that we always have to compare our students of color to white students, but again, that's our given reality. Um, when we look at that reality, there is a clear inequity in, in um discrepancy and a gap that we're trying to close. At Literate Minds, we believe that regardless of your socioeconomic status, if you have the access and the resources, and if your parents are equipped with the access and resources, that you too can read on grade level. Mm-hmm. Those who are L learners, again, if your parents have the access and resources, mm-hmm. you can too read on grade level. In fact, you know, studies support that bilingual students actually have more access to language, but again, that's all given that you have the adequate resources and tools. Mm-hmm. And so at Literate Minds, um, we came up with this phenomenal process by which parents can engage their children in a text that's very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we call them the Literate Connections because, again, everything when it comes to learning is about connections. Mm-hmm. It's about hands-on. Mm-hmm. We all know that you learn better by doing. Mm-hmm. And so when a child reads a text, not only are we asking them to make connections, we're asking them to make connections to the community. Exactly. That connection to the community is key. That's why our number one for Literate Mind Connections is create connections. Number two, ignite imagination. We not only want them to make that connection, but we want them to visualize what it looks like in the book, what it looks like in real life. And that way, that makes the connection even stronger. Our third Literate Minds connection is building empathy. We live in a day and age where we need to always encourage our children to be empathetic towards themselves, towards their community, towards each other, towards strangers. And our books always drive home that building empathy, connecting with the character. How do they feel? How does that connect with how you feel? Number four, our fourth literate minds connection is expand awareness. And this is key because we want to expose them to the world around them, not only where they are, their school community, but the worldwide community because we're all connected. And our fifth is, I believe, one of our most important is near and dear to me is the inspire action. So you're reading these books, but now what? How are you going to take it and apply it to the real world? But, like, there's just so many narratives that we have to change with reading. We have to change the narrative that there's a scarcity of books written by black and brown authors. There's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so many. Correct. There, we, yeah. have to, we have to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by, through our initiatives, we are creating the space um, for authors to step up and say, here, Here's a book that needs to get in children's hands. Like, I know an author now actually is accountant by day 
an author by night, and her passion is writing children's books. And so we ultimately really want to just create the space to just have more conversations about the types of books that are being placed in front of children and the conversations that we're having about those types of books. And we truly believe through our sponsors and through grants that we're going to get um, our subscription box and home and really help families and, and students take ownership of their own learning um, through reading. And the other part of this solution is, is really getting kids to perform well on assessment. And mm-hmm. that's a whole other podcast in itself, essentially. But um, where our minds are focused at right now mm-hmm. is just really investing kids mm-hmm. in the idea of reading. That's yeah, definitely. So right now we're working developmentally at the elementary level. Um, we plan to include anywhere from at least two books on a good month. We would like to include three, but depending on the length of it, two to three books. Mm-hmm. And just because you read the book once, it's always amazing to read it again the second time. Mm-hmm. And you know, ask different questions of comprehension. Mm-hmm. Along with those books, we give you all our Literate Mind, Literate Connection, and then we give you a reading guide, mm-hmm. which essentially um, outlines types of questions you should ask your child. Mm-hmm. We include vocabulary that you can emphasize with your kids. Mm-hmm. Kids love vocab. Yeah. Um, I always make it a point to use words that I know they are not often exposed to. Mm-hmm. In some Education critics will argue, oh, you're using language that they cannot access. Mm -hmm. And I always push back on that because, again, we are always censoring ourselves around whiteness. We equate using eloquent words to speaking white or whatever the case may be. And I disagree with that. I think, you know, when kids are in an educational setting, you should always be equipping them with things that are, that are going to open their minds and get them to think critically mm-hmm. and be like, hmm, someone just used the word and I have absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> I should go look it up in a dictionary. And so I'm very intentional about the language I use around kids, and they know why I do that. I just want my kids to have access. And then beyond the literate mind connections and the reading guide, we um, include some form of activity for the the kids to engage in and hopefully keep them busy for the month. Mm-hmm. But essentially our big focus is the books and um, the reading guides that go along with it. Mm-hmm. A part of being a member, we also want to create community mm-hmm. um, where other parents can engage with one another, ask questions, get the help and the resources they need to ensure that um, their students' needs are being met within their school context. Mm-hmm. Yep. You nailed it. <laughs> so one of the things that we believe in wholeheartedly is the idea of building a community of readers. It doesn't just stop in the classroom. Um, reading is something that should be continuous. It shouldn't be viewed as a punishment like um, you spoke about earlier. Like We should always be creating a community of readers. Parents should be reading together. Parents should be reading their own books. Teachers should be reading their own books. Like it really starts with our relationship with reading, creating a positive narrative around it and also showing students that it is fun to read. It's great to read. Like we have so many things nowadays that are like fighting for their attention um, and sitting down, reading, getting lost in the book. There's nothing like it because you're creating your own imagination. You're not 
being um, forced with any other than what you're like as you're reading you're you're creating these thoughts these images these pictures in your mind so building that community of readers the read aloud guide was a key factor in that because we saw the benefits of reading aloud um, and reading together and how that really helps even those students that may not know how to read like the really young ones that are learning how to read like that in itself can really push that reading to the next level um, the vocabulary all of these things are essential in creating a community of readers. So we're excited <laughs> about uh, really picking that up and, and putting that together and making that available for students and families. Yes, definitely stay tuned. Um, as Gabriella was talking, I was thinking of like initiatives that we're going to come out with because, again, the reality is we are competing against a lot of things that hold your child's attention. But I guarantee you, between my brain and Gabriella's brain, we're going to come up <laughs> um, with even bigger and better that's going to fight for their attention. Um, and it's going to be in the book. So definitely thank you. Thank you for listening. And there's much more to come with Literate Mind. Cue the music. <laughs> thank you so much.